I do know that uh, earlier is better if you're that organized. I know. I'm a procrastinator. I would be at the end, but uh, it just gives the, the elders a chance to make sure that they've uh, read it correctly and uh, um, before they read it to the whole, whole congregation. Um, also, if you missed a communion cup on the way in, you may want to grab one of those now. Oh, let me turn that on. All right, so we are picking up this uh, sermon series from the book of Galatians, and um, we've covered the chapter one. Today we will finish chapter two. The as we deal with the book of Galatians, one of the things that I I notice is that I think we're oftentimes used to, accustomed to reading the Bible and sort of coming across statements that are made to endure forever. So when Jesus says, love your enemies, we go, well, the disciples needed to love their enemies. And everybody between the disciples and us needs to love our enemies. Okay? Uh, and so we, we sort of take that statement and then we run with it. And we say, now, what does that mean for us and so we just but we can't do that with all of scripture okay we can't just pluck it out a verse at a time and then put it into whatever life situation we're facing and saying aha this is what jesus said for me um because sometimes oftentimes there's a context as to what it was addressing. And we see that more than most, I think, in the book of Galatians, at least through these first two chapters. You know, when, when Paul says, you know, this is what happened to me. This is my biography. You know, I went up to Damascus. We can't just pluck that out and say, the Holy Spirit says to me today, Paul went up to Damascus. It's like, oh, okay. I went to work. <laughs> like, are we just going to compare notes on where we went today? Like, how does that, how does that work? You know? So we, we have to look at it and say, well, Paul is, and I think in Galatians more so than a lot of other, other letters, Paul is writing to a very specific situation. And so if we want to you know, sort of pluck out these verses, we have to be aware of what is that situation that's going on. And, and we, we know how specific it is because Paul's saying, I did this, I went there, I spoke to this person, and, and it's based on his personal experience. Now, that doesn't mean that we can't learn anything from it, right? I mean, we think of the story of, of David or, or you know, Jeremiah thrown in a, in a pit for, for being a prophet, whatever it, it was, we can look at these people and we can learn from their lives and, and how they handled circumstances and we can do similarly with, with Paul. But when we're, we're looking at Galatians and we're looking at the things that he says, it helps us to know the context. Because otherwise, we may give the wrong meaning to a word. Right? We do this, we say, oh, I know what that word means. But sometimes, words have more than one meaning, right? That's particularly so when we go from one language to another. 
Because there isn't always a direct um, exchange. Okay? Now you've heard the example of love, right? Where we have one word in English and a bunch of them in Greek. And so we get all these Greek words and we, we just call them all love. Right? And so then we have to go back and as we're different people are teaching classes or where you're reading through different parts of Scripture, you go, oh, I wonder which love that is. So sometimes we think we know a word, but we, it helps to know the, the context in order to, to really understand that word. Okay? So um, the big conflict is, if you've been with us the last couple of weeks, if you haven't, you can go back either on YouTube or on the, the podcast and you can, you can catch up. But the big um, sort of reason for writing this letter is that Paul has planted churches in central Turkey, a region called Galatia, and those churches are made up of Jews and Gentiles. And it seems as though it's really the first time that this has happened on any sort of scale. And, and now that we have these churches of Jews and Gentiles, there's some questions that are raised. And, and they're questions of identity. We've had, you know, up till this point in time, you know, 15, 14, 15 years of, of the church okay, since Jesus ascended to heaven, since Pentecost. And, um, and in that time, the church has been mostly Jewish. And that has brought its own problems. Can we meet in the temple? How do other Jews like us? Right? You see Paul and uh, Peter and, and John brought before a Jewish court and thrown in jail. And uh, we see Saul going out and persecuting Jewish Christians. And, and so there's still, this, you know, there's still problems. We're even within the church, we've seen issues where uh, Greek widows, uh, Greek-speaking widows, uh, being neglected while the Hebrew or Aramaic speaking uh, readers, uh, speakers are receiving food. You know, and so there's this sort of, even within Jews, there's cultural differences and, and they're being treated differently and the, the, the apostles have this crisis very early on that they have to address and, and work through. And, and so there's, just within the Jews, there's a lot of you know, sorting out to do because this is something new. Jesus has gone up back to return to heaven and he says to the 12, he says, okay, you guys are in charge now. Good luck with that. And I'll leave you a comforter and I'll leave you the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit will guide you. But you're going to find yourself in some difficult situations. And they do. And they work it through. And, and they're probably feeling like they have a pretty good sense of what this Jewish church can look like. What it means to accept Jesus as the Messiah. But in their mind, in that day, there were two uh, groups of... Um, the, the, the Jews had this sort of two ways of seeing the world. You're either a Jew or you were not a Jew. <laughs> right? um, now, that, that's a little simplistic because there were certainly faithful Jews and unfaithful Jews, there were Hellenistic Jews and Grecian Jews, there were different us, but by and large, there were Jews, 
who were descended from Abraham, who were people of God, and they were Gentiles. Okay. And, and so you might say, oh, we'll, we'd never really, that's so black and white, we wouldn't see the world like that. Right? Um, but how about if, if we were to say, you know, we're in this country, Americans. Okay? And we'll sort of let Canada seep in right there. They're kind of American, right? They got football teams and baseball teams and basketball teams from Canada and you know, we'll call them American. But everybody south of the border is Mexican, right? <clears throat> It doesn't matter whether they're from El Salvador, Guatemala, you know, Honduras. It doesn't matter where they're from. They're Mexicans. And we just sort of call them that. Um, we might talk about Europeans. But, but Europeans, there's a big difference between someone from Paris and someone from Moscow. All Europeans, there's a big difference between someone from, from Bulgaria and someone from Sweden. All Europeans. But we, we'll talk about Europeans and, and the things Europeans do and the attitudes that Europeans have. And, and, and then, of course, there's Africa, that, that big country that's just sort of hanging out there, right? With the lions and the giraffes. And so we, we know Africa. But how often do we just call it a country? Right? Oh, well, I'm from America and you're from Africa. It's like, no, we... But in fact, Africa is made up of many different countries and tribes and regional groups. And, and, uh, and so we tend to um, put the world into boxes. And, and, and it's in order to make the world manageable for us, Right? It's hard enough. Anybody feel like you know all the countries in the world on the, on the planet? Like there's under 200 of them. You know, there's not that many. How about if we said, do you know all the people groups? Right? Now it gets even harder, doesn't it? And we go, no, I don't know. And so we sort of talk about, in, in general sort of gross terms, about nations and, and tribes and people groups because we, we struggle to, to be able to differentiate and to keep them all, all straight. Well, the Jews are kind of the same way. There was us, and there was everyone else. Okay? And God loves us. So, that was a good place for them to be. So, that was the way they used to seeing the world, as Jews and, as they called them, Gentiles. Another way of saying that might be to see the people of the world as either, not just Jews, but they put a value to it, righteous Jews, or sinful Gentiles. Right? And, and maybe you think, oh, we wouldn't do that. But when we talk about, let's say, the, the third world, what are we saying? We're talking about the technologically advanced and you know, morally superior Americans and the developing nations who don't have a lot of technology and they're often having political, military chaos and strife and they're just not quite as developed as we are. They're the Third world. We're the first world. So we, we attach these values to the descriptions that we use even for other countries. So we do sort of similar things. I want us to try and connect in a way to the text and to the attitudes that we find here in, in Galatians that are being described. 
But Paul, we're going to see, Paul says, this is the way I used to see the world. And now I see it differently. Now, we've reached a part of Galatians where after doing a lot of stories and, uh, and getting a feel for Paul and his relationship with different people and his, his, um, how he grew and learned, you know, started following, following Jesus, where we have these kind of a section of, of um, intense words, okay? There, there's a lot to them. And so if, we, if, if I gave you a piece of paper, I didn't do this, but if I gave you a piece of paper and I said, I want you to, to sort of define these, I'll give you five minutes and I want you to jot down uh, a definition of each of these words. And you probably say, oh, church word, church word. Uh, that one's a church word. Um, and so they're words we're familiar with because we hear them in church, but it doesn't necessarily mean that we have a, a working definition of each of them. And so um, what we have here in Galatians 2 and, and 11 through 14, sort of in the reading we saw it was a um, summary of a dispute between Paul and Peter. We're talking about that those particular verses in growth groups this week. And I'm really concentrating today on verses 15 uh, through 21. And in that section, 15 through 21, we have this sort of intense um, theological thoughts that are being introduced, really for the first time. And, and as you read through, you might have to read through twice and you say, I'm not real sure what he's saying. I get it, the gist of it, but I couldn't tell you what each, each sentence is. So I want to take a little bit of time today and just as we go through and, and hopefully we'll be able to make some, make some sense in, uh, in what it is that Paul is saying. Here's how, here's how I see it going. So we put up here the just the first two verses, 15 and 16. Um, we, Paul says, we who are Jews by birth and not sinful Gentiles. See that value that he puts, right? There, it's not enough just to say Gentile. He has to say, no, they're, they're, we know they're sinful Gentiles. Um, and we might do that. We might say the pagans, right? The, the ungodly you know, the, the, the non-Yahweh worshippers. Uh, no, we are Jews. We're raised Jews. And, and again, we might think of this perhaps as, were you raised in the church? Right? Do you know the stories? Are you more familiar with the stories and, and the customs and the habits and the vocabulary of the church because you were raised here compared to those who were not? We who are Jews by birth and not sinful Gentiles know that a person is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. So we too have put our faith in Christ Jesus, that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law. Because by the works of the law, no one will be justified. All right, so I think that when we hear, see the word works, usually what we think is we have this idea in our head of earning our salvation. It's like, oh, we can't earn our salvation. But that hasn't been the issue as Paul's been writing to the Galatians. The issue has been, can, do Gentiles need to become Jews in order to become Christians? Okay? So when he talks about the works of the law, he, he's talking about something uh, different than earning salvation. And we'll come to that in, in just a moment. He begins and says, so Peter and Paul, we were born 
Jews. And we're still Jews. You see, Jews don't need to become Gentiles or sinners in order to become Christians. However, there is a change for the Jews because their relationship with God is now mediated through the Messiah, Jesus. Not as it always has been in the past, through the Torah, through the law, through the temple. Right? It's now been changed the way their access and, and their relationship with God. There's an interesting thing here, and uh, I'm not enough of a language expert to be able to tell you. But when it says in ver- at the start of verse 16, a person is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. Um, the word in, you know, prepositions, they're, they're messy. Right, they're really difficult to translate. Oftentimes, you come across it, and there's like five different possibilities. And so, one of the possibilities here is actually the faith of Jesus Christ. The faith of, and so we can be. um, we're, We're not justified by the law, but by the faithfulness of Jesus Christ. So it was. Jesus, what Jesus has done for us, in Jesus and going to the cross, in, in Jesus becoming human, it was everything that he did that gives us the opportunity to become children of God. Okay? It also requires a response on our part, and so we could say, well, that's faith in. You know, so it, it, it's one of those things where it, it's hard to say which way it should go, and there's lots of people with Lots of different ideas, but I think it's worth considering there. The emphasis on what Jesus has done for us. And so Paul in in this section is not disparaging the Jewish faith. There were certainly people before Jesus who lived righteous lives. The, the, the people, the Jews, the faithful Jews before Jesus had complete confidence in their relationship with God. They knew without a shadow of doubt that their sins were forgiven. Psalm 103 is one of my favorite passages. I had to memorize it in high school and I don't know how many times I've, I've said it. But it talks there about sins being removed as far as the east is from the west. Right? And that's an Old Testament verse. And so they were, were confident in, in their relationship with God, that their sin, their sacrifices that they made had t- fixed their sin problem, and, and they were in good standing with God. So there were righteous people that kept the law, that, that worshipped at the temple, that were faithful to God, that he rewarded uh, because of that. The differences, the change... So, so Paul is not... At all saying, the Old Testament was bad. The Old Testament was problematic. But what he's saying is there's been a change that has taken place. The Jewish Messiah has arrived. And that changes everything. So when Paul does talk of the works of the law, 
There, there is, you know, on a big picture, perhaps the whole idea of the whole law, the whole Old Testament, the whole Mosaic law. But more specifically, his, he, he has a more specific focus. There are three types or three ways we can understand works that is uh, described in Scripture. The first one is that idea of earning salvation. Okay? Behavior to find um, acceptance with God. If I'm good enough, if I keep the law well enough, God will reward me. And that could be in the Old Testament or it could be today. Okay? That idea of if I'm just good enough or if I do enough, God will reward me. And so that's the, the first um, type of works in the Bible. The second one is we might call this mosaic works, uh, named after Moses, not little pieces of glass stuck on a wall, but mosaic um, works, and that is people that just kept the law, right? did what God told them to do. They obeyed God. They, they worked. Um, they, they, they did everything they were told to do, and, and they were supposed to. There, there was nothing at all wrong with that. Okay. And, and then the third one is good works, because even Christians are told that we have to do works. Right? But they are good works, not to earn salvation, not to uh, obey you know, the rituals of the uh, Torah that God gave Moses, but they are works or actions or behaviors arising from our relationship with God. And so when Paul talks here of the works of the law, which one is he talking about? I, I think specifically, remember the context. The context is that there is a group of Jews and a group of Gentiles. Now, last week we talked in chapter, chapter 1 and the start of chapter 2, we talked a lot about circumcision. And that was the flashpoint. Do Gentiles need to be circumcised to become Jews in order to become Christians? This week, in verses 11 through 14... The issue isn't so much about circumcision, although it may be some of the same people who are involved. The issue is about eating together. It's about can Jews who have dietary laws, as well as laws about contact with Gentiles, can Jews eat at the same table with Gentiles? And, and Peter and a good group of, and basically all the Jews in the church in Antioch, the very church who had sent Paul and Barnabas off to Galatia to start these, um, this mission work of, of taking the gospel to the Gentiles, this, this very church that, that initiated that now has the, Gentile, the Jews segregating themselves and having their meals with themselves while the Gentiles are left you know, to sort of work things out for themselves. And so that is the situation here. The situation is, can Jews and Gentiles, even if we're Christians, can we eat together? What does God say about this? Right? How does this church that it now has Jews and Gentiles in it, how does it go forward? How do Jews maintain their Jewishness, maintain their holiness 
maintain their separateness and their set-apartness, their identity before God. And so what we, we see, whether it be circumcision or these food restrictions, is that Paul is focused on the behavior that separates Jews from Gentiles, namely circumcision, food restrictions, and these social regulations um, between Jews and Gentiles. He's not talking about whether you should go to the temple and make sacrifices. He was fine with that. Later on, he's going to do it. (laughs) He's not talking about um, what Jews should do, which festivals and which holidays they should keep. He's not talking about you know, even whether Jews should attempt to stay clean versus unclean. What he's saying is if these things are destroying the unity of the church, we have a problem, right? We have a problem. And and so when he talks about the works of the law, he's talking about their identity. Your identity as Jews can no longer be in these things that make you Jews. Circumcision, food restrictions, we might say Sabbath, um, we, we might say you know, the, just the relationship with the, with the Gentiles. So those things can no longer define you in your um, interactions, particularly with Christian Jew, uh, Gentiles. And so that's where we come to at the end down here. He says, we're we're not made, we're no longer made justified. We're no longer become people of God by those works that previously made us people of God. Those markers that made us Jewish. That no longer works. And the reason it doesn't no longer works is because of everything that Jesus has done. Christ has made us his through his faithfulness and by our faith. Then we come to verse 17. Now, I think in verse 17 here again has to address some of these stereotypes that exist about Gentiles. So we have this, as I mentioned, this idea of the two groups that the... the um, well, let me read this first. If, but if, in seeking to be justified in Christ, we Jews find ourselves also among the sinners, doesn't that mean that Christ promotes sin? Absolutely not. If I rebuild what I destroyed, then I really would be a lawbreaker. It does, you've got to read this a few times in order for it to make sense, right? So I think what he's doing is answering the question that's being put to him. They're saying, okay, Paul, if you're, or, or the accusation that's being made, Paul, if, if Jews go and hang out with sinners, and, and by hang out I mean share a meal with sinners then we become unclean. And if we're supposed to do this because we're all Christians, then Christ is actually promoting us to become sinners. Like he's, he's saying that we, us holy Jews, people of God, children of God for a thousand generations, we need to go and hang out with those sinful people and let their sin rub off, rub off on us and become sinners and we're no longer part of the Jews. He says, why would Jesus want us, want his followers to become sinners? And Paul says, you guys are crazy. (laughs) Like, that's not how it works. Absolutely not. No way, no how. What on earth are you thinking? 
And then he says, if I rebuild what I destroyed. So, what they, what he's, throughout the Old Testament, the prophets, uh, particularly the prophets, all the writings that they have looking forward to the coming of the Messiah. The Jews were looking forward to the coming of the Messiah. They're looking forward to something new that is coming, that God is going to rebuild his, his people. He's going to bring them back out of exile and, and reestablish them as a nation, that he will be their God and they will be his people. But part of that is that all the nations will come to Jerusalem, that, that they will be a light to the nations, that they will come and they will worship God. And he says, why, if, if all of that has been like predicted that it's going to happen, and now it's happened, and we all agree that it happened in Jesus, that Jesus is the Messiah, and, and something new is beginning, if we all agree that we reached this point, why would we now go back to what we were doing before? And telling the new people that are coming that they have to come back over here. It's not like we get to Jesus and then we do a U-turn. Right? And that's what he's talking about, if I rebuild what I destroyed. And they're saying I'd be a lawbreaker because the law has been talking about the Messiah. The new beginning and the new kingdom of God that's going to be coming. So uh, I, I, that's my summary of that verse. There. So it's this whole idea of what's it, what's it going to take? That they're worried, the Jewish people are worried, Christians are worried that they're going to be corrupted by the Gentile Christians. Okay? And, uh, and Paul says, no, that won't, won't happen. And then we come to, um, well, before we come to this, I want to go back to why it won't happen. The reason it won't happen is because the Jewish Christians and the Gentile Christians are both justified or made children of God in Christ. Okay? In Christ. And so, if you say that you will be corrupted by these Christians who are in Christ, you're actually saying something about Jesus. Right? You're saying that Jesus, everything that he did to bring, to make salvation available for those people, to bring them into his family, that it wasn't enough. That the, the Messiah came and the Messiah did everything that he, he was supposed to do, but it wasn't enough for these people, these Gentiles, for you and me, to be able to fellowship with the Jews. Because the Jews still have something special, something separate from the Messiah. And so that is why this is so important to Paul. Not because it's this whole big thing about, you know, history and law and all that, and we're sitting here and we're going, oh, when's Peter going to get to something relevant, right? So it's not just because it's these big, complicated words and terms. It's because he's saying Jesus isn't enough, right? If you can't eat with these people, you're saying Jesus isn't enough. If you can't eat with these people, you're saying that Jesus' death didn't accomplish what it was supposed to. If, if you can't eat with these people, you're saying that Jesus' resurrection is only for certain people. If, if, you, if you can't eat with these people, you're undermining the gospel. And if you undermine the gospel, if you undermine Jesus, there's nothing left. Because this 
Jesus is who everything has been building towards. And now that he's here, he's everything that we need. And so we need to be we need to be very careful that we ourselves don't add anything to it, to Jesus or to the gospel. For through the law I died to the law so that I might live for God. I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live. But Christ lives in me and in you. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness could be gained through the law, Christ died for nothing. If, if the law somehow made Jewish Christians better than Gentile Christians, then why did Jesus even have to die? Okay. So I think, as we look at this last verse, this, in many ways, is the crux of the whole letter. And, and some would say maybe the, the core of Paul's message altogether okay he's not saying i'm getting rid of the old testament paul's going to do an awful lot of teaching out of the old testament in the years ahead right so he's not getting rid of it but what he's saying is that the law pointed to jesus and because of that my righteousness my identity is now in jesus not in the law I've been crucified with Christ. I join with Christ. What does that mean? It says, it, well, Christ, I no longer live. Christ lives in me. I, Jesus is my priority. Jesus helps me make decisions in life. Jesus helps me decide what is the best thing for me to be doing, the right thing for me to be doing. And so I live by faith in the Son of God, or the faithfulness of the Son of God. I'm dependent on Jesus, who loved me and gave himself for me. Okay? That's where my purpose comes from. That's where my identity comes from. And so, when I encounter a Christian from a different culture, different customs, different way of dressing or different, eating different food. When, when, when I encounter a, a Christian who perhaps, wasn't it interesting that Jews would still go to the temple and sacrifice to Yahweh or keep the Passover and, and the Gentiles aren't required to do that. And, and so they're keeping different festivals and different feasts. And Paul says, that's okay because our identity is in Jesus. Jesus is the core. And so, this, this is a wrapping up this, these two chapters, and as I say, the, the core of the letter. And so, whether it be the law of Moses, 
or a reliance on modern technology or a particular political philosophy or strong ethnic community ties or sinful behaviors that are just the way I live and the way things are. My future now needs to be tied to Jesus because I have died to self. You see, the question I think we need to answer is, what did I die to when I followed Jesus? What did I give up? What part of me was left at the top of the baptistry when I gave my life to Jesus? Because sometimes I think the answer is, well, no, I just, you know, I've been good. I love Jesus. Carry on. And, and, and maybe if we've been raised in the church and in a family of faith, and that is all we know, and we just do it as a natural automatic thing, but, but there is still, we, we give up some, something, don't we? We give up choices. We say, I'm not going to do those choices anymore. I've died to those particular choices, those paths my life could take. We, we, we die to things that we leave behind. We die to things that we could do but we're no longer going to do. There are things that we die to. And and I think it's important that we, we have a sense of that, that we have a clarity as to what that is, because if we don't have that clarity, those things will resurrect themselves in our lives, right? Those things will show up and, and all of a sudden the things that we said, oh, yeah, I'm not going to do that anymore. I'm not going to, that's no longer an option for me or, or this thing from the past. It will come back because we were never clear about what it was that we died to. We just thought, oh, I'll just keep on going. Only I you know, went in the water and I go to church on Sunday. But following Jesus requires a life change, an identity change. He's saying to the Jews, Jews, you don't need to become Gentiles to become Christian. To the Gentiles, you don't need to become Jews to become Christians. But both of you need to become Christians. And and he says to us, it doesn't matter whether you're American, Canadian, Mexican, Guatemalan, or Australian. He says, that is is part of who you are. It's your culture. It's your personality. It's your, your customs. It's what you're familiar with. And that's all good. But you need to become Christian." First and foremost. And and we see this this difficulty in different conflicts, don't we? And and we see Christians battling against each other as though it be politics or it be sports teams or it be redevelopment of a suburb that we don't like and some people do. It be all sorts of different things and Christians suddenly are at each other's throats and Paul says, hey, you guys are supposed to be Christians. And if that thing, whatever it is, as important as you think it is, if that is getting between each of you, you need to die to that. Because it can't be more important than Jesus. Because Jesus is the one who loves us and who gave himself for us. And that is what keeps us together. I do not set aside the grace of God. For if righteousness could be obtained through the law or anything else, Christ died for nothing. Jesus and God's Spirit within us unifies us 
beyond whatever social distinctions this world may construct between us. Because the truth is, Christ didn't die for nothing. Christ died for you. The question is, what are you willing to die to?